week of the podcast. Your host is, plural, Daryl Ray and Mike Heike. Uh Reminded of this with the Stars on a, a little, little skid. Dropped a game at home, lost a couple on the road. Harry Neal back in the day when his struggling Vancouver Canucks couldn't win at Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver and couldn't win on the road was quoted as saying, my failure as a coach is I haven't been able to find a different place for us to play. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mike, how are you? Doing good. How are you, Daryl? I'm good. I'm good. Good, good, good. Got a few things to go over uh, this week. I wanted to start with first-round picks, and this came to mind. When I I was looking at the rosters the other night and just with a few players out of the Stars lineup at wing. So when you looked at the at the uh, makeup of the Stars, they had four first-round draft picks playing center against the Minnesota Wild the other night. Uh, the top two guys, both second overall overall picks in Sagan and, and Spezza. Then you had Fox, who was a Stars first-round pick, and you had Dickinson, who was a first-round pick. Then you shifted off to the wings. And with Nachushkin off the ice and with Radulov who's not a stars pick off the ice they had second third fourth and fifth round picks playing wing then you went to defense they had a couple first rounders in Honka and and Haskinen and then they had a third a fifth and two sixth round picks on defense in goal Ben Bishop it was a third round pick and a sixth round pick in in Hudobin so it begged the question, or at least it, it struck me, that are first-round picks really that important? Do you have to have a ton of them for consistent, long-term success, whether they're yours or somebody else's? My belief is, generally speaking, that there is a difference between top 10 picks and first-round picks. Because you go back to the Dallas Stars, and what was that group of defensemen? Daryl Sador, seventh overall. Richard Maffichuk, ninth overall. Darian Hatcher, eighth overall. I mean, these are high-quality players. So if you get a group of those guys, high-quality players, Jason Spezza, second overall, Tyler Sagan. I mean, these guys stand out on the ice. If you can get those guys, I I do think that is a difference. And nothing against Jason Dickinson, but he's, what, 29th, 30th, whatever. I don't know that that's a first-round pick, so it to speak. Is. Actually, it is. It is, Mike. technically. Yeah, there's 31 teams in the I league get now. That. But you know what I'm saying. There, There is a, a line there. And then even in the, you know, the, the group of guys who have not played well or who have not panned out, whether that's, you know, uh, Alexiak or Scott Glennie or Campbell, I mean, these were, you know, I mean, Glennie was eighth, but I mean, these are 10th, 11th, 12th. I don't know that they're the same category as a, a top six or seven pick. I think those guys are special. Well, you look at the Wild. The Wild had 12 first-round draft picks yeah. in their lineup. Not all their own, no. but they, they're 12 first-round draft picks. Like guys get picked in the first round for a reason yeah. uh, coming out of amateur. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think the future for the Stars at wing – our first round draft picks. Like if Nachushkin can get healthy right. and come back, he was a first round draft pick. Gary Onoff was a first round draft pick. Uh, Riley Tufty, first round draft pick. Yep. They have a first round draft pick coming in goal in Jake Ottinger. So th- those those pieces are there at that at the top end of the draft. It's just right now, 
it you know you have you have Alexander Radulov who wasn't a star's first Correct. round pick but he certainly is other than that you're asking an awful lot of of second third fourth fifth round now they've had wonderful success yeah. with fifth round draft picks I mean Jamie Benn is a first round draft pick John if you Klingberg. redraft now John yeah. Klingberg the same thing but you you start to uh, mesh or weave those individuals in along with you know, a spine of first-round draft picks. And I believe in, in the spine. Yeah. You know, you have a top-end uh, first-round pick and goal. You have a top-end first-round pick on defense. You have a couple of top-end first-round picks at center ice. You're usually a pretty good team. And yeah. the Stars cer- certainly have that in the chamber. Yeah, and I think you got to pick the right guy, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're in there and, and if you get a pick at 8 or 10, then, you know, hopefully you get the guy you want and, you know, and the guy at 16 doesn't end up being the superstar that all the fans want, you know, wish you would have drafted. So I, I understand what you're saying, and I do believe what you're saying. You do need to build that from an inside. And my always thought is that if you're getting a, a depth defenseman or a third-line winger uh, and that's your first-round pick, uh, well, you could have got that guy for $2 million or $3 million as a free agent. So when you hit in the first round, you need to hit on guys who are impact players. Now, every hockey department is probably going to tell you that the guy we got in the second or third round is uh, an individual we had as a first-round guy on our board, oh, yeah. and he fell to us. But anyway, we I digress. So the, the team that's going to come in here uh, today, as this gets released on a Tuesday, are the LA Kings, and essentially that's how they – they built their world. You have to be really bad in order to get high draft picks. And they were for a long time. But then Drew Doughty came along and, and uh, Anshay Kopitar came along. And all of a sudden, they were, be able, they were able to uh, build their nucleus with high draft picks. And then they built around it. Uh, it's not going well for the Kings right now. They're a long way removed from, from the glory days. They've lost their, their uh, identity, it seems like, a little bit. And their GM stepped into the dressing room after they got bombed by the Buffalo Sabres on the weekend, 5-1. to one. Is that a little bit of the fox in the hen house? Probably not right to have that go in there. Or uh, is it a bit of daddy's home and the belt's off? And I mean, We saw it with Bob Gainey. It works when you do it once a year or you do it you know, at the key moment. And what Bob was so good about was he would pull a guy aside in the hallway you know, you always saw that. You'd be at the morning skate, and there's Bob talking to Mike Madonna, or there's Bob talking to Joe Neuendijk. And, and to me, that's the effective GMing method, not walking right into the room. Um, but if you're going to pull that card, you, you got it about once or twice a year. And I don't know if you have it twice. Yeah, you may just have it once. And, and again, it's almost like calling, you know, a timeout in a basketball game or whatever, you know, three minutes in when you're down 6 nothing because you don't want it to become 12 nothing. And maybe that's, you know, what Rob Blake was doing is just saying, look, this, it's already serious. We, we don't need to wait for American Thanksgiving. It's serious right now. And by the way, it is dressing room and hockey, people. Oh. Please, it fries me at times when I hear locker room. There are no locks in a NHL dressing room. Zero. They have stalls. That's it. You sound like and those that's soccer the same as guys who it say is it's offside, training and not it's practice. not offsides, <laughs> it's not plural, singular, offside, and uh, it's not warm-ups, plural, it's warm-up. They went out for warm-up, okay? What anyway. a connoisseur of the word. I, I agree with you. It's, 
it's impactful once when the manager comes in. When I was with the Edmonton Oilers, it was a bit of a weird thing because the general manager was the head coach. Right. So you could almost tell a difference when Slats would talk to the group yep. when he'd throw his GM hat on as opposed to his, his coach hat, but it was the same guy. And I think it's powerful if there's – if there's a message and if the general manager is in lockstep with the coach. Yeah. So it's a supportive uh, thing with him. It, the message is, is just being reinforced with a different voice. Yep. When, when it's just venting, I wonder whether the impact is there because it's just emotional. Well, and, and I hate to, to play this card, but it, when it, you're a Hall of Fame player, it makes a big difference. Like a Hall of Fame player GM walks into your dressing room and says something, I think the players listen a lo- whole lot harder when it's a executive who's worked his way up from Oh, wow, you're going down a very different path. <laughs> I'm just saying, like I said, when Bob would do it, he was Bob Gainey. I mean, he was five-time Stanley Cup winner, Hall of Fame, and when he walked in there, the players were like, oh, daddy's home. You know, when somebody else walks in, I think it is a different impact. I don't I, – I wonder whether that – has the same impact with today's players maybe, though maybe that not. it did back then i i really do i you know I mean, maybe, you were there I, we the, could talk with the millennial about this one uh as to whether that kind of i, I don't parenting's different now it is you don't, it, but it is parents don't walk home and snap their belt and scare no. the kids but like joe newendike and mike keen carried themselves as they were you know veteran players who weren't ruffled by anything and when Bob Gainey walked in the locker room they were like little kids I mean it really did have that impact yeah I just I don't know that and I don't know what went on behind their closed doors Uh, but if it's just a venting and it's just a a string of (laughs) f-bombs and what have you that go on in there I I just don't think that has the same impact with today's players because back then the GM had more of a uh a heavy fist and a paddle that he could use yeah. in a cap era and with contracts. I think it's I think it's really difficult for a general manager to follow up on any kind of threats. Yeah. So it ha- uh, nowadays I just think it has to come from a more intelligent uh, and again supportive of his coach. That guys, this is what I'm seeing. Right. This is the way it is. Um, this has to this has to change, and you guys have to change it in here more so than, you know, if if this doesn't change, there are going to be changes here. Yeah. Well, you, no, the players are too smart. They sit there and they're like, you can't make a bunch of changes here, uh, because contracts dictate that this is the team, and we got to dig ourselves out of it the way it is right now. Good talk. <laughs> uh, you had something about coaches, coaches, and you seem frustrated that coaches, whenever they lose a game want to change everything we've been through this with i mean we've been through a lot of coaches in the last couple of years and lindy made the statement because i asked him the same question why is it that you guys change your lineup after every single loss but then if you get on a winning streak you keep the lineup the same and he goes lindy goes like well it's not working i've got to change it and i'm like no you, you don't because when you have a winning streak does the winning feed a consistent lineup, or does a consistent lineup feed the winning, oh and vice God. versa? Oh, Chicken and egging now. I know. And so when vice versa, if you're really changing the lineup every single game, isn't it hard to get consistency? Like, I really like Jim Montgomery, and I like a lot of the things he's doing, but you look down at the ice right now, and every line and every D pair other than 
uh, Lindell and Klingberg is different every game. Now, some of that's injury. No, that's not really. That. That's not really true. The, okay. Some of it has been predicated on, on so injuries. injuries, right? Yeah, and pulling out. I, I think most most coaches nowadays want to leave uh, pairs together, and they can shift either wingers around or flip centers to change lines, whatever they want to do. It's pretty obvious what they're trying to manufacture here. They right. have, you know, four guys that are scoring. 50% of their, their goals, and you're trying to get something else. And I think what prompts it more than anything else is just the pressure to win, which is, you know, it's through the roof right. as opposed to what it was 20, 15 yeah. years ago. I hate it from a broadcaster or a fan uh, perspective because it's tough to get – I mean, Lions had nicknames back in the day. Yep. You know, Jim Montgomery gave one of the great the nicknames – to a line of all time, the Legion of Doom in in Philadelphia, and th- it just doesn't happen anymore. They don't they don't last together long yeah. enough. And there seems to be a belief that, uh, as we were kidding before the game the other night, that uh, you know you can go- come up with an acronym for this. Everybody plays with everybody. EPE. Right. And it it I think the best when you have a lot of talent and you have a you have a real smart coach that can that's perceptive immediately within games. We talked about Scotty Bowman before. Ten minutes into the game, he knew who was going and who yeah. wasn't. And players need to be able to uh, gel and 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 play with different guys. It can't just be the same guys over and over. And if they're not playing with a guy they want to play with, then they're going to pout. It just doesn't happen like that. But it is fascinating that they there is no patience whatsoever. No to allow guys to play themselves or, you know, groups of guys to play themselves out of a mini funk that they're in if the team isn't winning. And yet they have the same line of you don't mess with the streak, like from Bull Durham. If they're, if you're winning, everything stays exactly the same. So does that feed winning? I think this is a society thing, though, Mike. <laughs> Isn't everything Society Darryl? has no patience. It's true. They really don't. No. Or it doesn't. That's better. They, you can't say they with society, Who can you? They? The the idea that uh, if it's not working right now, we'll just change things and then it'll work rather than letting it uh, ferment like wine. Kind of. Well, I, again, I just go back to when they succeed, they keep things the same. So what what does that keeping Do things the same lead to more success? Do you think some of it is just for their bosses nowadays? That it, that um, it, that it just looks like... Uh, that it looks like we're doing something if I just leave it together. I think there's actually, you know, it's funny. And this is and, a- and to be honest with you, I bet a lot of, I bet a lot of, uh, I bet a lot of hockey departments nowadays, it's a group think anyway. Yes. It's not, they're, they're deciding on lineups and suggestions and, you remember it. I mean, oh, everybody it, sits around and yeah, jots the, down what they think would be the best line. And, well, again, we, yeah, and we have seen the, you know, People visit the uh, coach's office after a game, and uh, I'm sure thoughts are shared. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that. And I will say this, in talking to the coaches and getting to know them, they, they feel they need to make a change. That's their job. Like, this is how I can affect the team. We're not playing well. I need to do my job, and I need to fix things. Do you know what affects the ability to win or lose most or bestest in the National Hockey League and in the sport of hockey? In general? No. It's goaltending. Interesting. And holy puckaganda is back with that. 
after this. Oh, it's that time again. It's time for the Holy Roller, Holy Puckaganda. Stars Communications VP Tom Holy is here to drop some uh, propaganda pertaining to the goal. I think we're going to take a trip to the Bishop Arts District. Ben Bishop coming into this week. We've got Southern California. You want to stop? Hold it. <laughs> Hold it. Yeah. This is not open mic night. Every this is, every piece this is of stars again. Every piece of stars again that comes with a headline. Oh, does it? That's the headline. Okay. All right. Have you ever read well, their game notes? They're very punny. Yeah, it was unfortunate. <laughs> okay, go hey, ahead. They're Tom. not all I'm first so, rounders. I'm sorry. You guys no, talked about not. it earlier. They're not no, all they're first not. rounders. You're, you're trying to get a seventh rounder into the lineup here. <laughs> that was the Tom Wandell of uh, puns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tom. Well, let's see if the stats can speak to what the headline wasn't. So, we have Southern California coming in here. We have L.A., Anaheim coming into the barn this week. And when we look at Ben Bishop, that's where he's been some of his most productive hockey. He's played um, his first, very first NHL game came against the L.A. Kings. He did deb- very good English a second ago, but No, it wasn't. I transitioned. Yes. I fought my way through it, and here we are. Me winning, you do. It sounded a little th- that way. You don't always need to use words. I know. Go ahead. Uh, NHL debut came October 24th, 2008 versus L.A. Uh, he had a no decision that game. Uh, he got his next win the next night. That also came in relief. And then his he, he was out of the league. for He had to go back to the AHL. Spent about a year out of the league. And when he came back, his first game coming back was against Anaheim. And in that game, he came in 3-3 after one. And St. Louis rattled off six unanswered goals for a 9-3 win. That was his second ever win. But when we look deeper into it, he's 11-4-2 against L.A. and Anaheim. He's got a 9.37 save percentage and a 1.79 goals against average with two, as Razor would say, clean sheets. This is auto win. Does Monty know this? You I better don't. not start Hood Open yeah, one of these games. <laughs> I think he listens. Okay. He's a listener. Okay. He's friend of the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and against the Pacific, if you look overall against the Pacific, he's already pretty successful with a 39-21-7 and record with a 228 goals against average and a 922 save percentage. When you look at Anaheim specifically, that's where he really shines against any team. He's a duck end. hunter. He's a duck hunter. He played some Nintendo growing up there mm. in St. Louis. Uh, his best goals against average versus any team came comes against Anaheim where he comes in with a 1.32 goals against average. So look for him to uh, build upon that. And uh, that's what I have on Ben Bishop for you guys. It's really good stuff, Tom. It's very positive. Uh, do you have anything on Tyler Sagan against Anaheim? Tyler Sagan finished. He finished his goal column with a goal against the Anaheim Ducks the last time we were in here. And now he scored. No, he did, right? Uh, no, he did not. Uh, no, that's he assisted. He had yeah. That, that, that's, sorry. that's the propaganda that you tried. That's wishful to, thinking. Yes, yeah. Thursday but that's night. Really what, Thursday night. Tyler said. Really, what propaganda is? Yeah. is fake news. Wishful thinking. Yeah. No, it's you know you plant that seed. See how I drop that, that in immediately after. Seed. Well, was that more fake news than Mike saying a first round pick isn't a first round pick earlier in the I show? Think, I think 
uh, they're equally equally uh, fake fictitious <laughs> so 30 of the teams in the nhl tyler sagan has scored a goal against he's looking to close that out with the ducks of anaheim that's extra propaganda i love it and that's tom holy good knowledge on ben bishop we look forward to using that on the broadcast this week it's why we bring you on the podcast tom we just mine nuggets from you in Holy Puckaganda. Well, the one thing in Holy Puckaganda I don't get to pick is my, my warm-up music. When I come out, that was picked for me. Mike Heike is very passionate about the music. We're going to get into music with the millennial later on, but uh, up next, your time is up. Time on the ice is the topic. So what is too much time on the ice for the elite NHL player in 2018? Is it 25 minutes for a forward? Is it 28 minutes for a defenseman? What is it? I think it depends on the player. I really do. Even now, because Ryan Suter is, he's wearing down. I mean, he's had some injuries. uh, But there's a guy who plays a game that I think can take 28 minutes. Oh, yeah. He's like Chelios was back in the day and where you you can't chase every rabbit out there if you're going to play half the hockey game. you right. got to be smart about it, and he is. And people are saying Haskinen's that same guy. I agree. And I think he, he is. Right. And, I mean, he's only 19, so it's not like he's going to get tired, but he doesn't get tired because he plays intelligently. Yeah. And so I do think there is – And his skating allows him to yeah. get around. And so I do think there is that factor in there, the Nick Lidstrom factor, so to speak, where if you're so smart that you don't really, you know, exhaust yourself, then you can play 28, 30 minutes. But um, it's interesting watching this process uh, because I do believe Jim Montgomery and I believe a lot of coaches, they want to roll four lines. They want to get 10 minutes out of that out of that fourth line. And if that's the case, then you, you almost don't have time – to give a forward 25 minutes. Yeah, I think if you have perfection going from a coach's standpoint, everybody in your lineup uh, up front, all your forwards play between 10 and 20 minutes. Your fourth line plays just over 10 minutes. Your top guys play 1948 or something like that. And then on defense, you hopefully don't have to ride your top pair and play them 27 minutes of a 60-minute game. You can keep them down in the low – low 20s 23 minutes something like that but what happens is you end up on the wrong side of the score and you you know every coach whether you're a first year coach or fifth year coach or 15th year coach you look up and down that bench and you start to shorten things and figure out who can manufacture a little offense for us the other thing that comes to mind with me when you talk about time on ice is it's one of the reasons our sport is difficult to market the top end guys because your best players, you Crosby, McDavid, Ovechkin here in town, you know Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben, they're only on the ice a little over a third of the hockey game. Right. So two thirds of the game, they're not even playing in it. That ha- doesn't happen in other sports, even in in uh, football. Your quarterback's out there half the time. He's right. running the offense. He touches the ball every time it's snapped. Basketball is the one that your top five, for the most part, are, are playing the entire uh, game. So it, 
I believe that tired hockey is better hockey. Yeah, because of mistakes. I really do, and mistakes that's why create excitement. That's why second periods end up being more intoxicating and goal filled than the first and the third because your bench is on the other side of center ice. Guys get stuck out there on the ice for long stretches, and tired players, as you said, make mistakes. So. Uh, I don't know if we could ever get it to where <laughs> coaches will play, guys. I'd like, uh, I know from uh, my own history that guys like, like uh, Gretzky and that played astronomical minutes. Yeah. Like there were times when he played 27 plus in games, but they weren't expected to go, you know, absolute red line RPMs all over the rink like they are now. There, right. were, there was some coasting and waiting to their shifts on the ice, and it allowed them to do that. Well, and back in the day, and, and it's fun, I think it was more exciting hockey, mistakes weren't that big of a deal. I mean, I remember when Kevin Hatcher came here from Washington, and he would sit there and go, he'd make three mistakes, and, and Hitch and, and Rick Wilson would be all over him, and he'd be going like, yeah, but we'll get it back. And they're like, no, you don't understand. We're not getting it back. And But he's like, no, no, you know, 5-4, right? I mean, that's what we're going to do here. We're only down, you know, 3-1. We'll get three or four more goals, and that was the attitude back yeah. then. And and the coaching now is, you know, we can call it overcoaching, but well, there's a lot more coaches involved. I right. think that's Details. part of it. Like when back then there were what your head coach and two assistants. Right. There were maybe a video guy, but he he had to cut up VHS tapes. <laughs> you know, Leon right. would sit in the dungeon and and do that. You really didn't get that until the next day. Now you look at the information that's being fed to them in real time on the from bench. Kelly Forbes yeah. and that on the bench. And, yeah, they nip mistakes in the bud immediately. They want perfection out there. They spend so much time drilling down on, on where players need to be and short shifts and what have you. I guess the other thing that, that uh, plays into time on ice is when you have too many good players, yeah. which can be a problem too. I think the Leafs are dealing with that now where your depth at forward is such that you're trying to find enough quality minutes for other guys not named uh Tavares and and uh Matthews stars went through that too in the early aughts when they had Pierre Turgeon and everybody in here and Jason Arnett yeah it was Madonna it was like how do you know how do you find they all want to play more than 15 minutes a a game so that can be a problem on on that side of things too I I just I just think that the top end guys nowadays are over practiced and for the most part underplayed how do you feel about power play time because it seems like the league is going more to a 90 second well first power play but that's but that's because it's every every power play starts in the attacking zone, zone. Right. so you win that you go to work and let's say the other side is able to survive your first thrust offensively they get the puck down the ice you get one regroup go back get in get set up again by then you're you're over a minute right uh you're well over a minute it goes down the ice again you change there's going to be about 35 at best seconds remaining in that two-minute power play, probably less, your second unit comes out and they try to get something done. It's just the way it, it unfolds now. I have a different theory. 
I mm. feel like you say, everything, every game is so important. Every win is so important. Every goal is so important mm-hmm. that the coaches want their best players out there. For I mean, we're only seeing, what, three, four power plays a game for each team? If that yeah, sometimes. true. Yeah. So I think they feel we need to strike here. And we need our best players on the ice, and they're not tired. You look at Rads, and he wants all two minutes, or John Klingberg wants all two minutes. And that's an area where I think we can see more superstars in scoring situations. Right, but you, you see a case like when we were in Ottawa, and those guys stayed out there for a long time. Yes. And you know why they're doing it. They're competitive individuals, and they feel like they can impact the game. It was like Ribeiro back in the day. <laughs> like He would overstay shifts because of his competitive – juices but ultimately it might end up costing you cost somebody else some time on the ice and a tired player out there makes mistakes so they stayed out there for a long time came off went back out there again gave up a goal with 20 seconds to go in that second period when they were out there and that changed the game so it's you know what i i like most about power plays and top players do you remember back when uh colorado would go on the power play and Sackick would start, and he he would play up front right. the first time, or the first portion of it. And then when they changed up pers- personnel about midway through it, he would stay out there, but he would play the point. Yeah. So there's not as Ty- much. Tyler's done that a little. A little bit, but not not, not, not like a that. lot. Yeah. But I I like that. Yeah. I, I believe that you. It's a little easier. You stand back there. There's not as much movement. Uh, you're not battling as much with right. people down low. And it seemed like an intelligent thing, and I, I think Sackick had a fairly decent career that way. Well, and again, you look well. You look at you know, would a Tyler Sagan one timer from the point be a, a nice offensive tool, you know, to to change things up a little bit? So you know, same with Joe Sackick or however you want to do this. I think there are opportunities on the power play to to do things a little bit different. I just uh, I want to see the best players a lot. That's why Mike goaltenders are out there for sixty minutes, and. There's a reason why they are the kings of the sport. With that, let's bring in the millennial. Tuck Muzik. Totes Magoats is next. Totally. Totes Magoats. Cool. Oh, millennial musings. People have uh, written in. Uh, with letters <laughs> <laughs> on, their ty- state. on their typewriters. Yes, yes they, they've typed these or on their Commodores <laughs> okay. and uh, faxed in a lot of their uh, feedback. And they say the millennial spot with Jeff Totes stars uh, 24-year-old video production genius is their favorite portion of Rinky Dink. It's my favorite portion. Yeah. By, by far. <laughs> Totesie? Thank you Welcome for once me. again. I'm back. A lot of pressure on you now after that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, hey, first off, last week, uh, remember we were talking about you didn't care who calls games. Right, exactly. You don't honest, honestly, do you think this is your no, generation? My only tie to broadcasters is the ones that you hate. That's the only ones you notice. And when they're good, you're not really paying attention. But you don't lit- watch a game just for a broadcaster. You know, it's interesting because we go back and forth on this. My wife hates certain people on her reality shows, and those are the ones who move the needle. And she goes, why do they keep them? And I go, because they move the needle. Sometimes being hated is better than being loved. So if you you hate a broadcast or a broadcaster, you'll do what? Turn it down? No, you'll just tweet about it or complain. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, so it prompts hate tweet. Right, exactly. It's more entertaining that oh, way. Okay. Um, and you'll complain about them to other people you're watching with, but you never talk about, oh, this broadcaster's fantastic. I find that fascinating. And there's so many choices now. Like, you have your oh, choice sorry. of who you want to listen to. Like if you go on the NHL app, you don't, you're not stuck with just our broadcast, let's say. Uh, you can flick over and watch the other broadcast if it's a few days after. Yeah, true. And what do you think about like in the college football championship where there's four different simulcasts and you have the coach's room and you can choose your commentator? Yeah, I, I like that. I think it's progressive. I, I love think, it. I think that's your generation, though. You don't want to be one size doesn't fit all with you youngsters, right? You want your choice. Very true. Whatever it is that you like, you want that to be available to you. And I'd say that's the way the whole broadcast industry is moving. Would you Which agree? I agree. I agree. As long as I'm still gainfully employed, <laughs> I, I don't care which way it goes. But it brings us to your topic this week, which is music and its involvement in the sport of hockey. And I was thinking of this, too, that it feeds what you just spoke of about how you would prefer to have whatever it is that you like fed to you from a broadcast perspective. Right. And I think it's similar with with music. I remember back when we would play music in the dressing room, I'm sure there were guys that didn't want to listen to the type of music that was being played in there, right? Bob Seger and Foreigner. Yeah, and I mean, you had some guys that were really into country yeah. and some guys that weren't, and other guys that were into hip-hop and other guys that weren't. Some guys were into metal and some guys that weren't, but we all had to listen to the same thing. Right. Whoever was running it ran our show. Nowadays, with, uh, with your cans and your your ipods and everything else spotify's of the world uh i think every guy listens to his own his own soundtrack true that's for sure true uh and what prompted wanting to talk about music on this episode was razor you hit me with some drake lyrics on the flight out of new jersey last week um and not I just not, i don't believe i can repeat them no you can't, you can't we yes. can't play them or repeat them um but not from a drake hit from a very deep cut which i was impressed by so first off i want to know mike heika's favorite drake song and then razor i want to know if you have one hockey memory uh that's tied to a song whether that's a goal song intro music or a pregame playlist so Go mike ahead, mike first to you all right here's my confession Doug Foster is a dear friend of ours who has like 9,000 songs on his laptop. And he looks at me and I have like six, you know, and he says, well, you want to listen to this new song? And I said, no, I don't. And I said, my brain is full. I stopped new music at like 2004. I think I like that hot new band Counting Crows. They're really something to listen to. And so I can honestly tell you, I have no idea on any Drake song. I know he's from Toronto and that's all I know. Oh, Mike. Sorry. You have to stay current. I don't. It's my, it's my brain. Counting do, crows. Do you know what I... To, <laughs> look at, look at that, that hot new band. Toads is just like counting crows. I, on the last plane... Wow. Do you mall walk too, Mike, on the or last, what? On the last plane trip, I listened to the Guess Who's Greatest Hits and then the Monkey's Greatest Hits. Oh, my God. So, no, I don't know anything about Drake. So, is it you just don't have any interest in... Yeah today's music in any way shape or form my daughter listens to it so whatever she yeah but how do you not 
get exposed to that. I'm exposed to it. I just don't care. So I don't. But so you're in every arena for the warm-ups. Right. Right. What do you enjoy out of that selection? None of it. It's all the same. I like I like old music. I like it's. Do you know what's always blown me away about uh, music in our sport and how it unfolds? So every player drives to the rink and listens to music on the way to the rink. Right. You nowadays they just. What was that called? An aux cord or whatever? And you it's all Bluetooth plug it now. Yeah. yeah, it's all wireless. So you listen to whatever it is that they listen to. Then you get in, and there's music on in the dressing room. And usually, for the most part, it's something that most guys would want to listen to. So it's on in there. And then I don't know if this is still true, if they turn it off 20 minutes before you go out for warm-up uh, so that there's banter within the room. We used to do that. You have music on, and 20 minutes before you're going to go out, the – boom box would go off and <laughs> stop laughing <don't. laughs> and uh and then you would talk with one another and yeah. a lot of times it was the funniest best time to be a part of a team was then because it was it, the insults flew <laughs> and you talked about things that you needed to concentrate on in the game that night even though it was before warm-up right. it seemed a little weird so you needed this silence in order to do that then you went out and you get bombarded with music in warm up again. And then you come back in the room and of course it's silent in that. And then when music came in on every stoppage in the game, yep. so every time the game stopped, boom, somebody pushes a button on a computer and music blares, little cuts from everything, and and then the game starts up again and it's silent. Haven't they tried in the NBA music during the game? Oh, they do, do they, they do. Not? It's awesome. <laughs> I don't awesome. I don't know that. I love it. Do you think that would work with hockey? I actually don't know. I don't either. I don't think it would. There's such a, there's such a uh, ebb and flow to the basketball game where they're scoring all the time. Yeah. yeah. And they're in in hockey. It it has to build to a crescendo here and there. I just don't know that a a music bed would fit it. Basketball is very high beats per minute in terms of game action. Look at this. Look at the sound guy. I know. He's the best. He is the best. All right, can I have one aside here? Yes. One of the most shocking things ever was the Mike Madano playlist in the locker room because we're used to ACDC and Bob Seger, whatever they were playing. And Mo, if he got the game-winning goal, he'd run in there and he would play Culture Club. And you'd just hear that downbeat, dun, dun. Do you really? And you're going like, this is a hockey locker room? And that was Mo's hockey locker room. He he, he loves his Bee Gees. <laughs> he did, I know. And journey. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, what was your question to me? I don't remember. So now do you one hockey memory tied to a song or music? Or oh, artist? yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I used to I used to love? This is, wow. This is my sort of pump up back in the day. I loved Houdini's Freaks Come Out at Night. I just did. Like, it It pounded. That was my, that was my get going track back in the day. And we used to come out in junior uh, to Prince, let's go crazy, <laughs> and that fired He's us. From Minnesota, somehow that fired us. Fired up a bunch of eighteen-year-old hockey players, <laughs> and we would come out to that. But everything was was uh, uh, DIY. Is that right? DIY, DIY, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Uh, back then, nobody nobody produced this stuff for no. us. And I remember when the warm-up music shifted. It was all, for the most part, hardcore metal or tragically hip around the National Hockey right. League. That's what you got in warm-up. And then the influence of you people 
Jeff Totes, <laughs> brought in a little more uh, hip hop, a little more of what we get today, EDM. What would you call it? Just general good music. Uh, when did you see that shift? So, early, what's that? Was that shift early two thousands? Uh, no, I I don't think it was. I don't think it was that long ago. Like just within the last eight years, yeah, maybe. Okay. eight to eight to ten years, maybe. Yeah. And I, I don't mind it. The other night we were in New Jersey, and whoever runs the music there, I don't I don't know whether he has like a. Uh, some kind of a needs his ADD medicine or or what it was, but he he played about what twenty seconds of every song, yeah, and it was eclectic and it was all over the map and I found it extremely annoying. Whereas when I, for the most part, when I listen to to warm up music now when we're getting ready up top, I I like it. Yeah. Dry is it's all about driving energy. Yeah, yeah exactly. There. I don't like it when it's so loud that you can see. Uh, people and little kids with cans on to try to it's too much not yeah. damage their ears so you, um, you a big post malone guy i am okay that's what i figured i am i liked some of the modern today hipster i could tell based off your drake knowledge i do now you know i've two teenage daughters so i have to and i let them whenever we would drive to volleyball practice or whatever i told them you run it i'll listen to it so and you, the Sugar Hill Gang, they've got this new oh rap God. out that's Mike, pretty we're going to end on that. Anything else, <laughs> Totsi? That's, uh, that's all I got. Okay, we're going to come back. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We're just going to take a little pause here, and we're going to finish up talking about Sunbelt Stanley Cups. All right, big week. For the Dallas Stars is both the Los Angeles Kings, the Kings of Los Angeles, and the Ducks of Anaheim, formerly the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. They're celebrating that. We covered that before. Are in town. Second trip for the Ducks. So it, it kind of jogged or yogged my memory about uh, this the switch from Canadian teams dominating the Stanley Cup to all of a sudden Sunbelt teams having relatively consistent success in the uh, Stanley Cup arena. So if you look, Montreal Canadiens are the last team, last Canadian-based team to win the Stanley Cup. They won it in 1993. And since then, six Sunbelt Cups uh, have been won, starting with the Stars in 1999. That was followed up by Tampa and the Bolts in 04, Carolina in 06, Anaheim in 07, and then the Kings won in 2012 and 2014. So the easy question uh, to that would be why? Why has it been so difficult for these Canadian teams? A lot of them have had a lot of high draft picks where we started our chat today, and yet they can't win – Lord Stanley's Cup, and in the South, uh, these these clubs have been fairly regular with championships. I wonder, because the Cowboys are here, so we get to watch them, I wonder if it's the fact that when you're in a Sunbelt city, you're allowed to build. You, 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 the fans have the patience to allow... I, I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah, because you look at the Cowboys... I, I compare the Cowboys to the Maple Leafs, because they want to win 
the Super Bowl every year and the Maple Leafs want to win the Stanley Cup every year and it's just not possible and I think Cowboy fans would take every quarter century now (laughs) but the management I believe in in how you're building the team and then that's that's fed by the fan base who are just so rabid and they're so hungry that's why it took the Leafs to just change everything up there uh, with Shanahan coming in and Lou Lamorella and they knew there was going to be pain as as Mike Babcock said when they hired him as head coach and they dropped down and they took their pain and they drafted high, and they built that thing to where now right. they're one of the favorites for uh, the Stanley Cup in 2019. Yeah, and I think you look, and you, it takes good management too. Uh, the other thing I think that yeah, because Edmonton sort of did the same thing. Well, and and I, I look at some of the guys who landed in Dallas or Anaheim or L.A. or Tampa, and think. Those guys may not have gotten a chance someplace else, but they got a chance here, and they ended up being some of the better management people in the league. And, again, given patience, given some money, which I think if you, if you are a Sunbelt team, you have to spend money to succeed. Uh, and not that the Canadian teams aren't, but I'm just saying that, that hunger to get the people in the building means you have to put a winning product on the ice, and so then you go and try and do that as well. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting I think it's a little easier for – the the elite athlete in 2018 to leave the game at the rink yeah. in some of these southern climates they can't get away from it in Canada for yeah. the most part they just can't they're just especially nowadays uh, back 20 25 years ago uh, I think the the elite athlete in a Canadian city was part of the fabric of that city and they just sort of meshed with what went on there I don't think they they do that now it just seems like it's a it's a different relationship maybe it's the money more than anything I was gonna go with the totes angle on this these younger athletes are so aware of their surroundings so aware of the feedback that's out there because that's what they grew up with my daughter's the same way everybody in their school knows what everybody else thinks about everybody else yeah and I think that's a heavy burden to carry. Yeah. It really. Twenty is. years ago, you could just be mad at the writer like you. Right. Now you're mad at the writer and what somebody and right. you know OJ O two nine on Twitter said about you. If you want to go into that world or whatever. Yeah. Or you talk to Joe Newendike or Mike Keenan, and they say, "I don't read the media." Well, I don't think they cannot read the media. Like if you're on your phone. You're getting the opinions of people about Or else you. they're getting it even worse secondhand from right. somebody in their family that does go and the do that with wife, girlfriend, and, mom, and so dad, I sister, do brother. I think if you have a problem dealing with pressure, the pressure's even greater now as an athlete. Yeah. I, I, the other thing that, that came to mind was I wonder if, there's, if this is any factor whatsoever, but that inflated sense of worth. Like I think the Cowboys. Well, everybody's from Toronto, I think Darryl. the Cowboys have <laughs> have that disease where there's there's an inflated sense of worth just because of how prominent the Cowboys are, despite the fact that they don't win and haven't right. won for a long, 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 long time, and because of that uh, media and fan, uh, I don't know if it's a torrent of love or love hate or whatever it is in a lot of those Canadian cities. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're on that club, there's a there's an inflated sense of worth with you, and maybe that affects their ability to to do all the things that you should be doing in order to 
be a championship caliber club. Not, not to say that, that Canadian teams haven't no. come close. I mean, the team that Tampa beat in 04 was Calgary. Right. Uh, e- even just a couple years ago, the Ottawa Senators were an overtime goal away from being in the cup final instead of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right. So uh, they, they have been close, but it's weird. Prior to 93, or including 93 with the Canadians, Canadian-based teams have won eight of ten Stanley Cups. Yes. Eight of ten. Yeah. Now, that was the dynasty days of, of Alberta with the Oilers and, and Calgary for the most part. But, man, it seems like eons ago because it is eons ago. Yeah. That's... I'd like it to continue in the South, <laughs> to be honest with I you. I would, too. That, w- that would be very helpful for our I'm job. Canadian by birth, but I don't want to see Canadians win. I want to see somebody in Texas drag the Stanley Cup around. Uh, we're out of time again for another week. Halloween is, is creeping up on us. The uh, Stars had their Halloween party, and uh, all the teams have them now when they get a couple of off days. And then social media, Instagram, is just buckled with pictures of their uh, Halloween costumes. What what was your go-to back in the day, Mike? Or do you still go trick-or-treating? Maybe you do. Uh, (laughs) I know Totes does. Back in the day, this is... We put on some old raggedy clothes and then took a cork and burned it and made that bum beard on your face and went as a bum. Uh, that was a. You Can know, you say that? You, I know it's. Toast is shaking his head. Yeah, no, politically incorrect. We were. I think the we I think the politically person. correct word is hobo. Hobo. I that's think you right. were looking for hobo. And we would put the you know stick and the the bandana on our. Yeah. I mean, it was just an easy go to. But I just remember that's that, lazy. We, well, you can one, call it easy. I call it lazy. When I was up north, one there were wine corks all over the place. I'm not sure what that says about my. That parents. and you needed something to fit over your parka <laughs> right, exactly. in order to go trick or treating. <laughs> right. The old Canadian joke. Uh, I went to Gene Simmons uh, from Kiss one year at a team Halloween party, and yeah, I killed it. I was awesome. You're about the size of Gene Simmons. And I had platforms on. I was about six, seven. (laughs) I did my own makeup, nailed it. Uh, The only problem with it was later on in the night, we had pizza, and I started eating pizza, and I got my wig hair in with the pizza and swallowed it all together and we saw the pizza for a second time (laughs) anyway hope your halloween goes better than that uh with that we step away for another week uh rinky dinking three is over mike thanks as always thank you daryl for joining along and we'll talk to you uh next week from the road probably just after a date with the detroit red wings a homecoming for mike heike Talk to you then.